Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Lamentations, chapter 3. Uh, it'll be a few minutes before reading uh, because it may take you a few minutes to find it. Lamentations, chapter 3. Church, this has been a hard week. It's been a hard week for our church, it's been a hard week for our community. Uh, we lost a dear sister in Christ six days ago. Uh, when she made the decision to end her earthly life. And so many people since then have struggled uh, with some very difficult questions, and they have struggled often in their most private thoughts. Uh, people have asked questions in their hearts uh, that they would not dare ask aloud. Uh, they have asked questions that uh, they're scared, perhaps, to deep to think too deeply about. Uh, but I think it's healthy uh, for us to give voice to those questions. Uh, it's only then that we can find answers. And I have confidence in God's word. And when Jesus said that the truth will set us free, uh, those are great words, and that's a great truth. So let me just say some of the questions that I know people uh, are asking. Uh, what if God's love is just not enough to carry me through times of difficulty, times of depression? What if it's just not enough? What if the peace of God is elusive? What if it's inadequate? What if it just can't be found? Um, what if God doesn't answer my prayer? What if he doesn't see me through this as everybody tells me he will? What if I pray earnestly for peace and strength and joy, but tomorrow things are worse than they are today. What if God is not willing or not able to help me through my struggles? What if my faith just doesn't work? So what should we do when we have these kinds of questions, uncomfortable questions, hard questions? Uh, I think the inability to answer these often leads people to deeper discouragement and doubt and deeper depression. Uh, some do have suicidal thoughts as they struggle with questions like those. Uh, but the Bible has something to say. And I think there's a one word answer to this, but. I'm hesitant to give it to you because I, I, I don't want to trivialize this. This certainly is a serious subject, and these are important questions, questions that demand an answer. And while the word will be simple, the answer is not so simple. But let's start with the word. What should we do with questions like these? We should Wait. We should wait on the Lord. 
Now that doesn't seem very helpful, I know. But let me explain what the Bible means when it uh, commands us, when it admonishes us to wait on the Lord. You may not recognize just how common an expression this is in the Bible. Just how many times we're told in Scripture to wait on the Lord. So let me just give you a sampling uh, that is just a small part, uh, but even this, you'll think I gave you too much. Let me run through this quickly. Genesis 49, 18, I will wait for your salvation, Lord. Proverbs 25, 3, uh, not the one... Uh, who waits for you, no one who waits for you will be disgraced. Psalm 25, 5, you are the God of my salvation and I will wait for you all the day long. Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Psalm 33, 20, we wait for the Lord and he is our help and our shield. Psalm 37, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Uh, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he heard my cry for help. Psalm 130, I wait for the Lord. I wait and put my hope in his word. I wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. Isaiah 8, I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face. Isaiah chapter 25, it will be said, look, this is our God, we have waited for him, and he has saved us. Isaiah 26, Lord, we wait for you. Our desire is for your name and renown. Isaiah 33, Lord, be gracious to us, and we wait for you. Be our strength every morning and our salvation in time of trouble. Micah 7, I will look to the Lord, and I will wait for the God of my salvation and then the verse we're most familiar with in this category, Isaiah 40, 31, they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The Bible gives us this command. Honestly, not a command that we talk often about. I have never preached a message just on waiting on the Lord, uh, but I apologize for that. This is such a theme of the Bible. It is a spiritual discipline, just like reading your Bible, just like praying to the Lord, just like giving, just like worshiping the Lord in church every week. This is a spiritual discipline, a means of grace, a tool for us to grow. It's a pathway to peace. It it is the fertilizer for the spiritual fruit in our lives, we should learn to wait on the Lord. So let me teach you for just a few moments what the Bible means when it says wait on the Lord. Lamentations chapter 3, while the Bible speaks of waiting on the Lord from beginning to end, Lamentations chapter 3, beginning in verse 24, really frames the, frames the argument. I'll tell you before we read the verses, uh, if you didn't know, the very title of the book, Lamentations, what does that mean? Well, these are laments. It's written by Jeremiah the prophet. 
Not in a happy day, not in a day of victory, but he wrote uh, the book of Lamentations when he was crying out because of his hardship, his discouragement, maybe his depression. He's crying out. He's lamenting before the Lord. That's the entire book of Lamentations. Uh, There is a a danger in this modern American Christianity uh, that has... um, that is so popular today where all we talk about is living in victory and and having a whole life of celebrating uh, the goodness of God. Well, certainly uh, there's victory in Jesus. Certainly there are reasons to celebrate, but the entire Christian life is not a life of victory and celebration. And if if you're uh, skeptical of that, just read the book of Lamentations. Many other places in Scripture. Well, Lamentations 3, beginning in verse 24, Jeremiah writes, I say, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will put my hope in him. The Lord is my portion means the Lord is the thing I need. He's what I need. Look how it continues. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. Now, let me give you just the character of waiting. Let let me just explain the biblical concept of waiting. I want to give you three or four things. Number one, waiting implies wanting. Waiting implies wanting. What does it mean to wait? Well, to wait on something means you don't have something, right? If you're waiting on something, that means that there's something lacking in your life. If you're waiting for dinner, that means you're hungry, right? If you're waiting for five o'clock, that means you're tired of working. If you're waiting for payday, that means you've run out of money. If you're waiting for retirement, that means you've, you're just ready to do something different. So just by its very nature, to wait for something means that we lack something, right? If you didn't lack anything, you wouldn't be waiting for anything. So when we talk about the biblical mandate to wait, that alerts us to the fact that there will be times of wanting. There will be times when we do not feel the presence of the Lord. There will be times when we do not have the full peace that the Lord promises us. There will be times when we do not experience full victory. There will be times when we, when we, when we are not experiencing the rest that the Lord promises for us. When the Bible says that we're to wait on the Lord, it is telling us that there will be some times in the life of the best Christian, the most devoted Christian, when we will not have from the Lord the things that we desire to have for the Lord and even the things God has promised us. He says to wait, and in that waiting, there's, there's the idea of wanting. This is important because it, it normalizes our uh, struggles. If you are waiting on God, 
If you're waiting on God's peace, if you are waiting on God to move and change your heart, repair your emotions, that doesn't mean that there's a problem with you, and that doesn't mean that there's a problem with God. Waiting on God is a part of living in this sinful and this fallen world. There will be a day when we will no longer wait, but that day is not today. Waiting on God to move is normal. Now, the second thing about waiting, it activates our faith. Waiting activates our faith. Now, is waiting a good thing or a bad thing? Well, we're commanded to wait, so it must be a good thing. Uh, what, uh, what then are the benefits, the advantages of waiting? Well, waiting is the thing that strengthens and activates our faith. You know, the Bible says that Christians are to live by faith. Faith is the currency. Uh, we live by faith. But faith, listen church, is only activated. Faith is only real when we're waiting. If we don't need anything, if we have perfect satisfaction, perfect peace, uh, if we have uh, perfect victory, then we don't need faith. See, faith trusts that God is going to provide for us even when we don't see the evidence of it. No, waiting is what strengthens and activates our faith. Uh, let, me, let me show you the connection between waiting and faith. If, if you received a letter today from the IRS, okay? We're getting to tax time, so it's uh, good to use those illustrations. Um, you're, you receive a letter from the IRS that says that you failed to report some income five years ago. And because of this, you're going to be arrested in two weeks and you will remain incarcerated until there can be a trial and that'll probably be a year from now. So we're coming to get you. Now, that would strike fear in, in everyone's heart. So what do you do? You reach out to your uh, lawyer friend, your attorney friend, and you say, help me. And so the attorney looks at the letter and he says, or she says, don't respond to the IRS. Just trust me. I'll take care of this before day 14. So what do you have to do? You have to trust him. You have to wait on him. And on day 13, he shows up and he's got a letter of apology from the IRS, their very first one. And <laughs> they... Uh, they say that they mixed you up with somebody with a similar name in another state. And so your attorney hands it to you and he says, listen, here, here it is. I want you to trust me. Well, that would be an odd thing for the attorney to say then, right? You don't need to trust him now, right? Because you've got what you needed. You don't need your attorney friend anymore. You don't need to trust him at least. See, you don't have to trust God when everything's perfect because you got what you need. No, waiting on God is the way we build our trust. 
It's the way we strengthen our faith. I'll tell you the third thing about waiting. Waiting focuses on the journey. One of the things we must remember as we, as we live this life is that we're on a journey. Uh, we're on a pilgrimage. We're going somewhere. Uh, now the nature, just the nature of a journey, uh, if you're on a long hike, is that the terrain is going to change from time to time. About eight years ago, my wife and I, uh, we climbed Mount LeConte. Uh, it's a mountain in Tennessee. It's uh, not nearly as impressive as it sounds, <laughs> but, uh, but we did it. It took us all day to get up and, and down. Uh, we climbed Mount LeConte. And I'll tell you something about that journey. There were times in that hike up that mountain, there were times when it was beautiful. And then there were times when it was just ugly. We went through scrub brush and a part of the forest that had been burned. And then there were some easy parts where there was a clearly marked out trail and it was flat. And then there were some difficult parts where we had to get on our hands and knees and, and climb up the hill. But it was all part of one journey. Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 84, 5. Happy are the people whose strength is in the Lord, whose hearts are set on the pilgrimage. See, when we are waiting on the Lord, there will be some times when we're going to be struggling. There will be some times when we're hurting. But we have to set our hearts on the pilgrimage. We have to recognize that there are going to be some beautiful Days on the pilgrimage, but there are going to be some ugly days on the pilgrimage. There are going to be some easy days on the journey, and there are going to be some hard days on the journey. See, when we wait on the Lord, we focus on the fact that we're on a long journey, and the terrain, the terrain will change. The next thing I want you to know about waiting is that waiting anticipates God's goodness. We don't just wait to wait. We're waiting for something. We're waiting for God to show us his goodness. If your spouse uh, or if you're younger, maybe your, your parents uh, speak to you and say, I cannot wait for your birthday. Uh, you should wait eagerly for your birthday. Now, what are they implying? They're implying that it's going to be a big day, right? That it's going to be a wonderful day, that there's going to be something that day, a gift or an experience. There's going to be something incredible that day. You are waiting, but you're waiting for some special day. When the Bible says we wait for the Lord, we are waiting for the goodness of the Lord. Let's remember that. We as Christians, we've been promised things. We're waiting, waiting for God's goodness, for him to show his kindness uh, to us. Um, I think of Romans 8.28. Do you know that verse? We know that all things work together for the good, for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes, Listen, God has promised that he can take all things. 
He can take the good things, the bad things. He can take the happy things, the sad things. He can take the exhilarating things, the depressing things. He can take the mountaintops and the valleys so low you don't think you will ever make it through. And he can use those for his good. We are on a journey and we must wait because we're waiting for the goodness of the Lord. The next thing to know about waiting is that waiting understands the seasons, the seasons. Now, this is the final word and just the character of waiting, but it's important. To be a successful farmer, some of you are farmers or at least you uh, plant a little garden in your backyard. To be a successful farmer, you have to understand the seasons. There is a season when the farmer has to just endure, endure hardship invest sweat and blood in the fields, there is a season, a difficult season, when he just has to grind it out. And then there's a season of harvest. Then there's a season of victory. So how is the farmer motivated to grind it out in the season of planting? Because he anticipates the season of harvest. See, that's what it means to wait on the Lord. Friends, there are just going to be some seasons in life where we're just going to have to grind it out. We need to grind it out on our knees. We need to grind it out with arms locked with other believers who can walk with us. But there will be times that we just have to understand the seasons and we grind it out in this season and wait eagerly for the harvest in the next season. You know that planting and harvesting rarely happen in the same season. And we just need to understand that. Waiting. Waiting. So we see that this idea, this spiritual discipline of waiting is central to what the Bible commands us to do. And it really is wrapped up into every other part of the Bible, in, into patience and faith and spiritual growth. Wait, wait on the Lord. But I want to be practical because I, I, I know, I've heard from so many people this week, I know that many are struggling. And maybe you're not at the point where you're considering self-harm, or maybe you are. But many people are struggling, and many people are fearful right now. So let me take this clearly taught, clearly presented biblical idea of waiting, and let me give you some quick how-tos. How do we wait on the Lord? Well, three things. Number one, we must value waiting. We must value waiting. Listen, I hate to wait. I don't like to wait in lines. I don't like to wait for a table at a restaurant. Uh, I don't like to wait for Christmas. Uh, I bought my wife's engagement ring before she was my wife. And um, I was going to propose on Valentine's. I thought that would be a 
romantic thing to do. But I finally just couldn't wait any longer and I did it on Groundhog Day. So, <laughs> I hate waiting. One of my wife's biggest complaints about me, and no offense here, but she says, I eat like an old man. And here's what she means. When we're going to a restaurant, I want to go at 445. <laughs> and there's not anybody under the age of 70 at 445 in the restaurant but me. And I'm home and in bed before most of you go to the restaurant. Uh, why do I do that? I don't want to wait. I don't want to wait on you to finish your meal for me to sit down. I hate to wait. I hate to wait. But waiting on the Lord has great value. When we are waiting, we are not wasting. God is using that waiting. That's why we read it over and over and over in the book of Psalms and Isaiah and Micah and throughout the Bible. When you are waiting on God's peace, when you are waiting on God to answer the prayer, when you're waiting on God to help, you can be thankful that he's going to teach you something in this season that you could not learn if he just shortened it and ended it today. You can be thankful that God is going to grow you and strengthen you and he will build you in the season of waiting. You can be thankful that God has given you an opportunity to glorify him when you're waiting. If uh, somebody uh, gives you a, a great gift, uh, a gift with high monetary value, and you're just blown away, and uh, you reach out to them the next day and you say, listen, uh, I, uh, I love you. Okay. Now, you may love them, uh, but it's easy to love them after they've given you a big gift, right? But when things are hard, when things are difficult, when the relationship is strained and you reach out and you say, I love you, does that mean something different? And when we can live for the Lord while we're waiting, well, that glorifies him. Lamentations 3.26, we read it, ago, read it a moment ago. I'll read it again. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation from the Lord. We should value our waiting. And then number two, we should wait actively. We often think of waiting as a very passive thing. You're just sitting there and you're just waiting that they'll call your name next, hopefully. Uh, we, uh, we think of waiting as doing nothing but wishing that the waiting was over. But biblical waiting is not passive. It's very active. How does a farmer wait for the harvest? Do you know? How does a farmer wait for the harvest? Does he just sit back and, and wonder when it's going to come? No, a farmer waits on the harvest by being in the fields, by working, by laboring, by pushing forward, by making sacrifices. See, that's what it means to wait on the Lord. It is an active thing. We should continue to invest in the spiritual disciplines, in our spiritual lives. We should continue to serve, continue to be faithful. 
Say, well, pastor, give me a list. What should I do when I'm waiting for God to give me peace and take my depression away? Well, I'll tell you what to do. Read your Bible, pray, worship, give, serve. I'm not saying if you do those things then your depression will go away. No, that's um, uh, too many pastors have said that. Too many Bible teachers have said that and confused people. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying while you're waiting for God to do what God is going to do, work the fields. Wait actively, actively. I shared at the funeral yesterday, one thing I shared is that when we're in times of darkness and we can't see God's hand, we can't see God's truths, we can't appreciate God's promises, when we're in the dark, we should assume that everything we believed, everything we trusted in when we were in the light is still true. So you may not see God's hand. You may not appreciate God's promises, but there was a day that you did, and you need to live like that until the light is turned on again. So you may know the name Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, preacher in England in the uh, 1800s, early 1800s. Uh, he, is, uh, uh, he is revered as the greatest uh, English-speaking preacher in history, history of the world. And the first real mega-pastor, I guess you would say, and a man who took such strong stands on the Bible. I love to read his sermons even today. Um, I, uh, I would never preach one because you wouldn't sit here that long, <laughs> but I love to read them. Uh, what many people don't know about Spurgeon is that he suffered debilitating depression. And there were times when he couldn't preach for weeks or months because of this depression. And consequently, he wrote a lot about how he trusted God through these painful times. And one day I'm going to we'll put all that together and share that with people. But, but let me just uh, give you three words he said that I think are the best three words uh, that he gave about this. He said, pray and stay. Can you remember that? So when he would uh, suffer from these bouts of depression and wasn't able to leave his bedroom or even have the lights turned on for three months, what did he do? He said, I don't know how long I'll be here, but for as long as I am, I will pray and stay. He said, I'm not going to make any big decisions while I'm depressed. I'm not going to make any big decisions in the dark. I'm just going to pray and stay and wait on the Lord. Well, then the final thing, and this is the hardest one. So listen to me, church. We must just wait longer. I've, uh, I've sat down with people who've suffered and suffered, and mental illness is a real thing, and, and it can be perhaps one of the most painful things that somebody ever goes through. And so the hardest advice I know to give, but some of the truest advice, is you just need to wait a little longer. How long do you need to wait? You need to wait until the end. You need to wait until the end. 
despite what we sometimes hear in some of these modern praise songs, the Bible never promises us that we're going to experience victory in this life. Do you know that? The Bible never promises us that he is going to completely remove the hardships of this life. God never promises us that in this life we will have no more hardships and problems. God never guarantees us freedom from depression, anxiety, loneliness, or pain in this life. That may surprise you. It's a clear teaching of Scripture. We live in a fallen world, and the people who lived before you sinned. And the people who live around you sin. And you sin. And our world is fallen, and there are consequences. For all of those things, and God never promised that in this life, in this life, we would be victorious and have all joy. You know, sometimes, uh, and I do love this chapter, we'll focus on Hebrews 11. And if you're a student of the Bible, you know exactly what chapter that is. It lists some of the heroes of the faith and how they went through tough times and they took a stand and they took a risk and God came through and they were victorious. And so preachers like me, we preach Hebrews 11 and we say, have faith, trust God, take a risk. God will give you a victory. And, and, and that is there. That is a part of Hebrews 11. But we skip a lot of Hebrews 11. Let me read you the verses that we skip. Verse 13, some died in the faith having not received the things that they were promised. These people that trusted the Lord. Some died. They didn't receive the promises. But they saw the promises from a distance and they greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents upon the earth. They desired a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. You see, there were a lot of there are a lot of people in Hebrews 11 that took a risk and experienced a victory, but there were a lot of people. There was no victory. And they recognized that they were strangers on this planet. And God said, they're my children. And when they get to me, that's when I will answer their prayers. Let me read some more verses. Verse 35, people were tortured not accepting release so that they might gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Some died by the sword. Some wandered in sheepskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. But all these were approved through their faith though they did not receive what was promised in this life. 
God never promised that your difficulty would end, that your depression would be lifted. For many people, he will choose to do that. For many people, joy, maybe for most, joy will be a part of your life again. But listen, church, uh, we're strangers here. We're aliens. This is a fallen world. And we've got to understand that God asks us to wait on him and promises that in the end, he'll be faithful. So when somebody says, Pastor, when is God going to change this? I say, ah, I hope it will be soon. But you've got to wait. And then you've got to wait. And then you've got to wait. Because what it means to honor God, what it means to wait on the Lord, is to wait to the end. Listen to 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, Peter writes, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual uh, were happening to you. Peter says there's going to be some hard times. It's just going to be some hard times. And I think the best follow-up to that is the Apostle Paul who said in Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us. Church, God can give you peace and you should pray for peace. And God very often gives peace and joy and relief and victory right now. But even if he doesn't, he's still worthy of our waiting and our confidence that in the end, we will have the better resurrection, as the book of Hebrews says. When I thought about the word waiting this week, I, th I thought about the synonyms, you know, words that mean something similar, and two words came to mind, anticipate and fear. And those, both of those words are synonyms for waiting. But they mean different things, right? To anticipate, to wait with anticipation means that you're waiting. You're waiting for God's goodness and God's kindness. I wait with anticipation. But to wait with fear means I fear. I fear death. I fear separation from God. I fear judgment. You see, children of God have to wait sometimes. Those who don't know Christ, they wait. But it's a different kind of waiting. You see, if, if, if you have accepted the fact that you're guilty of sin and you have trusted what Christ has done, if you love the Lord and have surrendered to him, 
and you've been adopted into his family. See, you wait with anticipation. Whether that waiting is for two more weeks, two more years, or until you're ushered into heaven, you wait with anticipation. If you don't know Christ, you wait with fear. It all comes down to that. People have to wait. There are people going through hardships right here, right now. And while some of you will experience a miracle of God in your life, some of you are going to have to wait. You choose, though, whether you're going to wait with anticipation or you're going to wait with fear. Just your head bowed and eyes closed. Father, forgive us when all we focus on in the Christian faith and all we sing about and all we talk about is that we have victory and we um, have peace and rest and and that we don't worry and that life is easy for believers. Father, those, those things are often true and there is value in following you. There is peace in following you. There is joy that comes from following you. The fruit of the Spirit, Father, is real. Thank you for that. But Father, there's more to, there's more to being a child of God than just peace and joy. It's about waiting on you. And I pray that when my life is bright and sunny, that I will be thankful for your kindness. But when my life is gloomy, hard, and difficult, that I will wait on your faithfulness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In both services, let's stand.